You can open your Bibles up to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 2, verse 3 today. It's the, the creation account. It's on page 1 in the Welcome Table Bibles. It's probably on page 1 in your Bibles. We talked about this when we went through Genesis as a whole book. Just listen, that's just where it starts, okay? Um, and so, again, we just finished up a five-week series through what we call normally uh, the Pentateuch, but it's also called the Torah uh, in the Jewish tradition. It's the first five books of the Bible, but more accurately, I think it's helpful for us to understand, these aren't five separate books. They were actually written as one unit, one book, one scroll, okay, referred to as the book of Moses. Moses is the author, and, um, and if we keep this in mind, so it's one scroll with five parts, we're going to go through part one. We've, we've gone through all of them together, and now we're going to work our way slowly but surely through part one. And if we keep that in mind, this, this picture that we're, we're going through part one of a five-part story, five-part scroll, that's going to be extremely beneficial to shaping our understanding of the first part of the Pentateuch, Okay of what Genesis actually is about. Now, it's easy to read the, the account of creation as a standalone story that tells us about the history of the world, but that's not actually why it's in the Bible. Everything in Scripture was written by someone, to someone, for something. By someone, to someone, for something. Now, we know from 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is God-breathed, Right? God has inspired it, but he used human authors over the course of about 1,500 years, using their own personalities, their own writing styles, guided them along, but these are their words of a faithful God. And so it's easy for us to read this as a standalone story, but we need to remember, this is a story told by someone, to someone, for something. And so the more we're able to keep that in mind, the better we're going to be able to understand what we're reading. This, this entire Pentateuch, the entire Torah, was written by Moses to the children of Israel. That, that passage I read in Deuteronomy for our prayer time. To those people, the people of Joshua's generation who were camped out on the eastern border of the land of Canaan, preparing to enter and possess the land that God had promised to give them through the covenant that he had made with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we'll read about as we go through Genesis. And so we have the by someone and we have the to someone, right? Moses, by Moses to the new generation of Israelites, the children of Israel. But we still need the for something of Genesis and particularly of this passage that we're looking at today. Why do the children of Israel need to understand? Why do they need to know about the creation of the world? How does that help them prepare to enter and possess the promised land. Moses wants the children of Israel to know that their beginning as God's people goes back beyond the covenant that they have made with him and the covenant that he made with their fathers to the very foundation of the world. Their story doesn't begin with Abraham. It begins with God himself. Moses is reminding the children of Israel through the creation events that their covenant God is also the creator God of the entire universe. And so the creation account needs to be understood from this perspective, the perspective of, of God's covenant people looking back on the, 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 the story of creation while they look forward to the promised land that they're about to enter. Now, because it, this passage is a 
familiar one for many of us, it's going to be tempting for us to, to read it with preconceived conclusions already in our minds. But if we read it with the perspective of God's covenant community on the cusp of receiving the fulfillment of God's covenant promises, I'm confident that it'll help us better understand why this creation account is so important, not only to them, but also to us today. And so I want you to, to, you can close your eyes if you want, but I want you to to put yourself right now in the sandals of an Israelite on the plains of Moab at the end of Deuteronomy, looking across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. I want you to think about all that you've experienced as that community of God's people from Yahweh, the Lord God, Over the last 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, you've experienced his judgments, his provisions, his holiness, his mercy, his commands, his faithfulness, his presence. And as Moses begins to teach you the history of Yahweh's relationship with your people throughout the generations that came before you, these are the words that he starts with. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water, So he made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the water he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth produce vegetation Seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruits with seed in it according to their kinds, and it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons And for days and years, they will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser night to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. And he also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that your spirit would give us understanding so that we might follow it for Christ's glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we just read the, the account of creation from the perspective of an Israelite about to enter the land of Canaan. But just as Genesis is the beginning of the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, the, the Pentateuch is the beginning of the whole Bible, right? And the whole story of Scripture points us to Jesus Christ and what he has done to make a new covenant community of God's people. God's covenant people are now long, no longer this uh, geopolitical nation, but people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who've been brought into relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's helpful, and I think we need to understand Israel's history in order to understand our own history. And the creation account helps us with both. And I think one of the things, that, that the perspectives that's easy for us to overlook, thanks to our individualistic culture that we live in, is, is that we are a people of God together. I think we forget this sometimes. And in a, we're in a covenant relationship, not just with God, but with each other as his family. And so often we tend to apply God's word to our lives as individual believers. And, and that's necessary because uh, our relationship with Christ is personal. It has to be, right? But it's also necessary for us to apply the truths of Scripture to our lives together because our faith with, in Christ is also corporate. This is one of the reasons that we gather together on the Lord's days on Sunday mornings. And so we need to look at this from both perspectives, how this applies to us as individuals and as a covenant family of God. And what we'll find today that holds true for both the individual and the community is this. If we want to understand our identity and our purpose as human beings and as God's new covenant people, we need to start at the beginning with God himself. Why? Because the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when the children of Israel heard that, they were not thinking the same thing that you and I are thinking right now. When we hear the word earth, what do we immediately think of? He's got the whole world, right? We think of our planet. It's easy for us because that's the, the reference, our typical reference that we use. But every time the English word earth is used here, the Hebrew word there literally refers to the ground underneath your feet. And so what we can re replace that word earth with the word land. That's going to be important. And we're going to find out why in a, in a little bit here. But what we need to understand for now is that just 10 words into this narrative... We're already confronted with how easy it is for us to read things into that that aren't there and make assumptions that neither the author or the listeners were making. And so all I'm suggesting this morning is that we, we read this as best we can like it's the very first time we've heard it and, and Moses is telling it to us and we are the Israelites. So think about all the things that we've talked about for the last five weeks. That's actually going to help inform us on what's happening here. On your handout, you'll find a, a, a really interesting graphic that depicts how the ancient Israelites would have pictured the universe. And we don't have time to stop and talk about all of these things, but uh, I'd encourage you to read through these descriptions because you'll find this language. You'll hear this language. It's similar language that's used all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms and, and, and even on into the New Testament. Paul talks about being caught up in the third heavens. What is that? Right? It's different. It's different than the way we think. So if we're not careful, we'll make Genesis 1 be about the things that it's not claiming to be about. We need to guard against reducing this passage to a proof text to defend our position on the age of the earth or to debunk evolution or to put an end to the gender debate. Now, I want you to hear me, okay? I don't think you can give an honest reading to Genesis chapter 1 and come away with any other conclusion other than that God is the creator of all things and that he created human beings as male or female. I don't think you can read it honestly and say anything different. I do think that there are faithful, gospel-centered, scripture-dependent brothers and sisters on both sides of the age of the earth debate and I'm not here to get into that this morning because we need to understand that none of these things is Moses's main concern. His main concern is to help the new generation of Israelites understand who God is because by doing so, he will help them understand who they are and why their relationship with God matters so much. And so this morning, we need to let Moses' main concern be our main concern as well because it directly affects our own identity and relationship with God. We need to let the text speak. So what's Moses telling the Israelites and us about our covenant God? Well, first of all, our covenant God is the creator of all things. Without him, nothing exists, including you and me. And because he's the creator of all things, that means that he existed before we did. In fact, the rest of the scripture makes this abundantly clear that God has always existed. You remember when we, when we did the flyover in Genesis and we read Psalm 90 verse 2? It says, before the mountains were born, 
Before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. And so since God existed before us, that means that God has an authority that we can never have. You and I can never have the authority that God has. It also means that we are born dependent upon him whether we admit that or not. It means that he then is independent of all things and self-sufficient completely. Acts 17, 24 and 25. Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, and then he pauses, adds a, a hyphen, a parenthetical statement here. He's like, oh, by the way, he is Lord of heaven and earth. There's the creation language. This God does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. So if God is the creator of all things, that means he's also the owner of all things. And this is why it's important that we understand that the English word earth here is not referring to the planet, but to the land, the actual ground, the physical land. That word is used at least 20 times in Moses' retelling of the creation account, in addition to two times where he says the phrase dry land. One of the ways that we gather the meaning of a, a particular passage of Scripture is to look at what is the author talking about the most. What, what's the thing that he keeps repeating? The land is mentioned in every day of creation, including the day of rest. Every day of creation except for day two. Remember that even though we're reading the account of the beginning of everything, we're looking back on it from the perspective of Moses telling it to God's covenant people. Obviously, Moses was not there at the beginning of the world, right? But we've seen in th through the entire Pentateuch that Moses had this special relationship with God and he spoke directly to the Lord. So we can trust Moses' account as reliable, as trustworthy. He speaks the Lord's words and yet, as God's chosen leader for Israel, given the, 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 uh, the office that he carries, Moses is telling them the creation story for a reason. They're, they're on the cusp of the promised land. He's preparing them for this, a reason that directly relates to the, their relationship with God. So why would Moses emphasize the land so much in the creation story? Well, what did God promise to give his people through the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? that he renewed with the people of Israel on Sinai. Land. Land. Wouldn't it be important for the generation that's about to enter the land and take possession of it, remember that God is the creator of it? And because he's the creator of it, it that means that he's the owner of it and they are not. I think it's number six. You can go back and read it. It talks about sending them into a land with cities you did not build, with trees you did not plant, this language is all over in the Pentateuch. God says, this is mine and I'm giving it to you. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 tells how God formed the world in the first three days of creation and, and filled the world in the next three days before he rested from all his work on the seventh day. So on the backside of your handout, there's another graphic that shows this. And God created and he, he prepared a place for his living creatures to inhabit. And in verses 26 through 28, he blessed his special creation, mankind, 
with the authority as his representatives to rule over every other creature that he had made, especially over every living thing on the whole earth, on the land. Every other creature was made according to its own kind, but God made man and women according to his own image, right? And God blessed them so that they would reproduce and become numerous and fill the land. Now, how does that, think about that, how that relates to the covenant that God made with Abraham to give him land and cause his people to be more numerous than the stars that he created in the sky that he created so that all the peoples on the earth, a.k.a. the whole land, will be blessed through God's special people. It also gives us greater perspective into what God instructed Moses to tell the Israelites that first generation that ends up dying in the wilderness. But, but when he renewed his covenant with them at Mount Sinai, the ones that he brought out of Egypt in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, he says this, Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. It's clear from the creation account that as creator of everything, God owns everything, yet he intends to share it with the one creation that he made in his own image and according to his own likeness, mankind, so that he might bless them in all that he's made through them. It's clear from the covenant account that God, who owns the land that he created, intends to share it with the one nation he chose to be his own possession, Israel, in order to make them the people who reflect his own nature and character, his own image of righteousness and truth, so that he might bless them and all mankind through them. You see the parallel? Israel's entire existence and experience revolves around their relationship with the God who created and owns everything. Verse 2 says that the earth was formless and empty. The Hebrew phrase there gives this, this imagery of a desert wasteland. But Moses is describing it in reference to the surface of the watery depths covered in darkness. Now, why would Moses refer to the watery depths as a desert wasteland when he's telling this account to the people of Israel? So that the people who wandered in the desert wasteland, a.k.a. the wilderness, for 40 years would see that the God who was bringing them out of the wilderness into the promised land is the same God who brought order out of chaos and prepared fertile, life-giving land from something that was formless and empty and dark. The creator God who provided every seed-bearing plant and fruit tree as food for every living thing, is their covenant God who provided manna as life-giving food for his people as they wandered and who was providing for them land flowing with milk and honey, ripe with grapes and pomegranates and figs. That's how they described it in Numbers 13. The Israelites needed to be reminded that the creator God who gathered up the waters so that the dry land appeared on day three of creation is their covenant God who gathered up the waters of the Red Sea so that they could escape Pharaoh's army and walk safely across on dry land. The creator God that brought light into existence out of darkness, where darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and who separated the light from darkness in creation is their covenant God who brought a thick plague of darkness over the land of Egypt, but separated the Israelites by giving them light where they lived. 
the Israelites needed to be reminded that literally from the beginning of the world, it's always been God's desire to bless humanity and to be a special, in a special relationship with humanity. And it, even after all the hardships the Israelites have experienced and the discipline that they've received from the Lord because of their disobedience and their rebellion against him, guess what? His de- desire to bless them still remains. It's unwavering. Isn't that helpful? Don't we need to be reminded of that too? So far removed from these stories, this history, this really happened. All of it. The God who took such great care to create a world for his special creation so that he could bless humanity is the same God who took such great care to prepare a land for his special people so that they could bless all of humanity so that he could bless all of humanity through them. And even after the first humans failed in the garden and the next humans failed, the Israelites failed in the promised land, supposed to be the new garden, God's desire to bless humanity and be in a special relationship with us has never wavered, not once. So when we, who were made in God's likeness, failed to fulfill God's plan because of our sin, what did he do? He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Jesus was made like us in every way except he was without sin. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. He, it, he was with God in the beginning because he is God. All things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet darkness did not overcome it. And even though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And everyone who trusts in Christ's death and resurrection becomes a new creation, a new creation. In him, we receive forgiveness for our sins. We're reconciled to God. We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, Ephesians 1. We become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession so that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of the formless an empty darkness of sin, and into the marvelous light. All that I just said, those aren't my words. That's John 1, Philippians 2, 1 Peter 2. This language is all throughout Scripture. God is telling us who he is. You see, our existence and our experience revolves around our relationship with the God who created and owns everything and who made a covenant with the people of Israel because he made a new covenant with you and me in Jesus Christ. The creator God is our new covenant God. And our purpose is made clear when we understand God's purpose in both creation and covenant. 
as Moses is describing the creation of the world to the children of Israel, that, that sense that he's giving is not just that God created everything. That's true. But if you take into consideration all that he said in the rest of the Pentateuch, the, 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 um, the sense there is that God alone created everything and no other God did. Isaiah 45, 18. For this is what the Lord says. And again, Isaiah pauses, hyphen, the Lord. By the way, if you don't know who he is, he's the creator of the heavens, the God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it. And then he puts like a parenthetical statement within the parenthetical statement. He says, he did not create it to be a wasteland. There's the language. But formed it to be inhabited. And then he closes all of that. For this is what the Lord says. He says, I am the Lord, Yahweh. There is no other. This creator God is the same covenant God who says to the Israelites in Exodus 20, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have any other gods besides me. The God who alone created the heavens and the earth is to be Israel's only God because he is only God. He is God alone. And he created the world and brought Israel out of slavery, not simply to bless humanity, but so that the humanity that he blessed would worship him as the giver of life and him alone. The God of creation and the God of covenant is the Lord our God. And no other God is. This, this reality should not only govern our individual lives, but also our lives together as the new covenant family of God. Individually, this means that if you're a new creation in Christ, you no longer live for yourself, but for the one who died for you and rose again so that you could be recreated in him. Is that how you live? When we leave here on Sundays... And you go out Monday through Saturday. Does that describe your way of life? Are there areas where you're still tempted to live for yourself and not for God? Are there still areas of sin and darkness in your life that need to be brought into the light? Through confession and repentance? If so, I pray that this morning you would see the goodness and the grace of our covenant God. and separate from the darkness and turn to him. Corporately, this means that our relationships with one another ought to revolve around our relationship with God and our worship of him together. That should be the most unifying thing that we have in common. It's Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that every time we're together, we need to have a church service, but it does mean that every time we have a church service, our sole purpose is to glorify the one who created all things and who recreated us together in Christ. That's why we sing the songs that we do. That's why we pray the way we pray. That's why we preach God's word and nothing else. That's why it can never be about me or you. It means that we get involved in each other's lives outside of this building for the purpose of growing in Christ-likeness together and encouraging dependence upon the spirit of the one whose image we bear. It means that as a church, we should be known not for proving sinners wrong, 
but for pointing them to the God who created the heavens and the earth and makes sinners like you and me into new creations in Christ. It means that we treat every human being with the dignity that God has given to them when he created them in his own image, even as we help them understand that any attempt to assign to themselves their own identity is an attempt to replace the God who made them. It means that, as, that instead of shaking our heads in disgust at unbelievers because of the choices they've made, we remember that we too were once foolish. I'm using Paul's words here in Titus 3. We were disobedient, we were deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, it's creation language. He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit. So as a community of people that have been recreated according to God's mercy, we should reflect his love for mankind and genuinely seek God's blessing for everyone while we show them that those blessings can only truly be experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. We don't compromise truth for love. We don't compromise love for truth. We do both together because that's reflective of who God is. As a church full of people who've been re recreated in Christ, we should want to see all, all of fallen humanity be recreated in him too. That's the whole reason. God created us to bless us with a relationship with him so that we would worship him. It means that together we remain dependent upon and confident in God's word. Over and over in the creation account, you hear this. God spoke, God said, and it was so. Over and over, remember the whole story of the, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah. God spoke, and it was so. Everything God spoke was truth. Everything God spoke came to be. His word is reflective of who he is. And as people created in his image and recreated in his son Jesus, who is the living word, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we must be people who believe God's word as truth and depend on it for life. It also means that our lives should reflect the nature and character of God as we live according to his word together by the power of his spirit. When God spoke creation to, into being, those weren't just words of truth. Those were words of life-giving grace. Go back and read the language. He talks about providing. Everything he's doing, he's setting up to give life to humanity and bless them. When he spoke the words of the covenant to the people of Israel over and over again in the whole Torah, the language is, this is for your good. These are words of life-giving grace. And so those, as those who have put off the old self, Ephesians 4, the one that, that was corrupted by deceitful desires and have put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. There's the creation language again in God's likeness. When we speak to others, shouldn't we speak with truth in love to them? 
so that we give life-giving grace to the ones who hear it. That's how we reflect our creator and our covenant God. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 tells us so much more than how the universe was made. This passage tells us how to think about the one who made it. The God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and renewed that covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. And he's the same God who made a new covenant with us through his son, Jesus Christ. The creator God is our covenant God. And that means that we can trust the covenant promises, the new covenant promises of the one who spoke everything into existence. If we want to understand our identity and purpose as human beings and also as God's new covenant people, we need to start at the beginning with God. If we start with him, we'll end with him. If we start with him, we'll end with him in the person and the work of Jesus Christ in whom we can put our rest. Jesus. God in the flesh. And as those who've been recreated in his image, we now have the blessing of sharing this God with others and worshiping him while we wait for the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation's full of this language too. Where we'll live forever with him in the eternal blessings that Christ has purchased for us with his own blood. Listen, we have so much to learn and enjoy about the God who created all things, but who we know personally by name, Jesus Christ. This, this is just the beginning. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us who you are, who we are, and how in grace and mercy and truth you have brought us to yourself in Jesus Christ. Lord, let this be for your glory. Change our hearts. Draw us near to you. And help us live in obedience to the God who is our creator and our covenant king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.